<laughs> Doc, good evening. Thank you so much. Really, really, it is definitely a great pleasure for us to be conversing with you. I suppose, let me start my question. Just, I understand that your team has indicated to me that you have a limited time with us, but maybe let me get straight into it. I mean, I'll quote a Bible verse. It says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? I'm reading you this verse simply because I want to pose a question to say, why? Why should it be you? Or why do you think you're the one uh, person that would lead the party and subsequently, uh, you know, lead the country uh, of being president when you still have a cloud of digital vibes hanging around your shoulders? Good evening, Doc. Uh, good evening to you and all the listeners. Well, um, the issue of digital vibes has been dealt with uh, for almost two years, maybe 18 months at this point. Uh, if you go back to how it started, the a report comes from the Auditor General, and I then advise that the, uh, the Director General must investigate the matter using external independent auditors, uh, forensic auditors. I think it's a responsible approach to dealing with a matter where there's a query. <clears throat> Secondly, uh, when that report was completed within five months, I then went public to account for what had happened, and uh, I had said that uh, they must look as well into the uh, award of the contract. And therefore, when I came out on the 26th of May, I explained that we found irregularities in the award of the contract, and naturally I had not been aware of that, and so uh, that we had actually they were going to uh, take disciplinary steps on several managers who were involved in the procurement process, and that there would also be funds uh, that will recover from the companies that are concerned. I did also express my concern about the matter and said that I understand the outrage, the con- the, the uh, anger, and the uh, you know the noise about it uh, because uh, we have to be accountable and I've accepted that. Then, uh, as you know now, uh, subsequent to that, the SIU had uh, uh, indicated that they will be investigating and uh, we handed over our report to them. And uh, also, when uh, we we felt that there were names of members of the family involved, I pulled back and I stopped uh, participating in the uh, the supervision of the the, of the investigation. Now, all of those issues for us uh, are issues that basically mean I've taken responsible steps to deal with the matter. As things stand now, uh, the issue that uh, that relates to uh, um, the personal benefit has been addressed because the portfolio, the um, ethics committee in Parliament has uh, cleared me on that. When it comes to the allegation by the uh, SIU about uh, 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 transgressing the constitution and the cabinet resolution that the SIU has confirmed that they actually never had such a resolution, which means their allegation was not based on facts. And then the other issue is that uh, uh, although I knew and I said that the the, uh, ministers don't get involved in procurement processes, the people who are involved have actually been disciplined, and in the process of disciplining them, they've been not been found with uh, a fraud, but they were found with negligence, and also um, there was no evidence left by the SIU 
to indicate any involvement by the minister. So we have applied to court to get this matter to be set aside and said to the president, because I'm going to take this matter to court, I'm going to resign and cite the SIU as well as the president, and so I wouldn't be serving under the president uh, uh, under those circumstances. Now, we would have loved to get this matter concluded in court, but the SIU is the one that has been refusing to submit some of the necessary documents that we need to take the matter forward to court. Dokotela, in as much as I appreciate that you're still awaiting the court to set aside this particular matter of the digital vibes, but having been cleared by the parliament processes or even just the committees, in hindsight, why do you say you would have learned in all of this? I, I think it's important for me to say that uh, it's been a, a very painful and embarrassing uh, episode that we have gone through, and I have learned uh, lots of lessons about uh, you know being more vigilant about uh, you know oversight about uh, accountability about making sure that going forward I can assure the public that uh, no such similar situation will arise in the future. I've had the history of having to fought corruption in my history as Premier and an MEC. I actually uh, were even rated um, uh, the best Premier because of my fight against corruption. As a Treasurer General, I've also run a very clean uh, governance program, and that's why even on the uh, you know, state capture report, you don't see the features of the Treasurer General of the African National Congress. I think that, uh, you know, one has learned to be a lot more uh, cautious and to uh, learn that uh, it's important to always raise questions and awareness to uh, family members, people who are close to to me, that, uh, you know, there has to be no optics of any transgression. Even though, uh, in this case, my family was not involved in the contract with the Department of Health. They are not part of the digital vibes. They are not subcontractors of digital vibes. Their interactions are to do with distant uh, you know, transactions that are far away. So in the process, those issues are going through a court process for, uh, for their own full ventilation. But nevertheless, I think it's important to say uh, one has learned a lot, and uh, I remain uh, you know, uh, you know, firm that uh, such uh, examples will not be repeated in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, Doc, I know that you've mentioned that, uh, you know, joining forces with other, uh, you know, leaders opposing President Ramaphosa was not your call to make, and it's still not even your call to make. But, you know, this is in light of talks that suggested that you should be joining forces with Melindiwe uh, Sisulu and as well as Menkosazan Lamini Zuma. But your name is totted in the leadership lineup with uh, Paul Mashatile as the deputy president and as well as, you know, candidate and as well as uh, U. Pumulo Muswale as the Secretary General. I mean, is that a drafted slate in which you're going with to the elective conference? The, the, I think what will be clear is that uh, there's a huge appetite from the branches of the ANC for a change. And so all the people that you have mentioned are more or less agreed on the fact that they'll be prepared to be part of the process of changing. And the, the question as to who ultimately becomes uh, what position uh, it's a, a decision of the branches and so um, we have seen that the branches have made those nominations uh, we've got confidence I have confidence in the number of the leaders that you have mentioned and so I believe that uh, if the branches of the ANC were to elect them uh, we'll do our best to build 
a strong United ANC that will deliver the services and that will make sure that uh, people's confidence in the ANC is rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Let me take you back when you were still the Treasurer General of the African National Congress. I mean, currently the party is struggling with its own finances, even just to pay some of the salaries within the party. But talk us through, you know, when you diagnose the situation, having been in that position before, what do you think maybe the problem is? Look, um, it's not a correct tradition to go or convention to go back and, and, uh, and make comments about your successor in office. Uh, if there's any way you can support, that's the role that I need to play. Uh, just to say that uh, I have noted those uh, concerns of staff that uh, went without being paid. Uh, of course, during my tenure, that had not happened. And also, uh, I think it's important to look at a number of issues here. One of them has got to do with the fact that uh, uh, the the new legislation on party um, party funding uh, needs to be fully implemented in the sense that uh, uh, it was done. Uh, that legislation was done to actually regularize what is happening in many countries in the world. Uh, the fiscals must carry the funding of political parties, and in return, the parties must then offer to uh, uh, accountability and transparency and disclosures. So that process is what needs to be given attention to uh, so that uh, you do not have a fear of donors that they may be pursued after they've been disclosed, but you also want to make sure that uh, the issues of suspicion, state capture, corruption, don't arise when, in fact, the funding of parties is not corruption. The funding of parties is a very important, uh, you know, uh, principle in terms of the democracy uh, uh, based on party proportional representation. Dr. Mkize, on various reports, I mean, you are reported to say that you are convinced that ordinary members of the ANC would, you know, unlike the previous times, be more interested in electing individuals based on merit and not on who pay, I suppose, who pay them for their vote. You know, talk us through where those accessions or somewhat of even convictions come from. I mean, is that also a, a notion that you still hold even to this day? <clears throat> well, um... You know, I've been in the African National Congress for a long time. The issue of money has never really played an important measure of the party support. But I have seen that there are instances where lots of money has been used. I think that is something that the ANC must curb and take strong actions where there is money for votes that, in fact, was a regulation to, to discipline individuals who would have uh, se- secured votes based on uh, you know, payments of money. But uh, in the past few months when the ANC was going through the uh, provincial and uh, uh, regional elections, we have had reports of uh, individuals who have come in and put a lot of money to buy the votes. We have actually been impressed with the attitude of the members of the ANC and delegates who <clears throat> excuse me, who have voted on the basis of their commitment to change the ANC, to strengthen the ANC, to unify the ANC, and therefore made a clear statement that uh, people can lose even if they had a lot of money. And I think that message needs to be sent to everyone to discourage everyone from thinking that whereas the ANC is a 
you know, a parliament of the people, an organization of our people, which is their hope, which carries their aspirations to changing and transforming South Africa, it cannot be sold uh, to the highest bidder. And I would like to urge members to always disregard anybody who wants to put money. Instead, what they should do is to focus on what is best for the African National Congress so that uh, we can leave behind the legacy of an instrument that is important enough to drive transformation and fulfill the mission of the African National Congress, which is to improve the lives of all South Africans and transform society and the economy for the benefit of the uh, you know, uh, the majority of the people who are poor, underprivileged, and deal with issues of inequality and unemployment. So there's a lot more than money that comes into the conference of the ANC, and it's important that that message must always remain very strong. I remain confident in the, uh, the quality of members, in their conviction about the importance of saving the ANC, strengthening the ANC, uniting the ANC, and going into a conference and emerge with a party that is able to remain the pride of the South African people. I'm glad that you've mentioned, you know, in that uh, submission there, Doctor, that you've mentioned, you know, the pride and as well as just the unity of the party as well there. I mean, let's talk about that, you know, that particular aspect of the unity of the party. I mean... The ANC in office, particularly from the 2017 NASRAC conference, I mean, you had slates or factions that lived longer than their purpose. I mean, you've led yourself, Doctor, you know, caucuses before, you know, towards conferences, either from a national and even provincial, uh, you know, caucus there. You've led them to conferences. You know, how would you as a president of the ANC unite all members of the ANC post-conference? You know, because we get a sense that the party is suffering from some of its disunity within the party as a result of what happened in 2017. Leading towards this particular conference, how would you, emerging as president, going to unify the party into, you know, abolishing its somewhat of slates or factions leading into what, you know, the future post this particular conference? The, the leadership of the party at the top level need to be true to the issues of unity. And that leadership needs to be firm to say that all caucuses that were meant for purposes of the conference must be disbanded. When I was leading the caucuses in the past, I called them and formally disbanded them and told them that the leadership from now on takes charge. It's important because caucuses tend to have their own life, their own power, their own influence, and it's actually very nice to be a caucus leader because you actually have the power that's not been bestowed by anyone and cannot be restrained by anybody. But what has been unacceptable in the way that this particular term of office has had, you cannot have caucuses that are given names and those names continue to persist until the next conference. Now we basically, you know, uh, formalized the, the, the caucuses or the factions as part of the ANC as though they were structures. People will proudly call themselves so-and-so 22, so-and-so uh, 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 2017, and actually not concede that uh, it's a leave, the faction has lived beyond its means, its, its, its timeline. Now, it's important, therefore, that, uh, you know, inside the leadership, there should be a balance in how you handle the members of the ANC and the leaders of the ANC. You should not create an impression that privately you talk caucus or, or, or faction and in public 
you're talking uh, <clears throat> you're talking unity because we live in the same space so we know when the utterances are not true commitment to unity and so then you have the problem of uh, unity persisting the way it did. If I were to then uh, come in, the first thing that I would do is to insist that uh, if anybody gets to be seen to be involved in a, a caucus beyond that conference, we call them individually and tell them to dismantle that caucus and take action about them. That's the regulation in the ANC. It was not implemented. People have gone all out and proudly displayed themselves as a particular you know, uh, faction when, in fact, it's long past the you know, uh, the, the, the conference time. So I think that's very important. But why is it important to fight factionalism? It is because the ANC has to be united in order to unite society. A divided ANC can never unite society. If the ANC wants to fight corruption, and which is our commitment to do, you end up with a problem where there is a clear perception of inconsistency, where some of the members might be seen as being protected by sectional dominance, and that needs to be dealt with. So if I were to then come in, I would make that priority because delivery of services is not possible. When if someone is not deployed, they think it's because of a faction. When somebody is being disciplined for uh, a misbehavior and misconduct, they think it's because of a faction. When uh, someone is uh, you know, involved in irregularities, they can't be charged because of the faction. Now, that is what you need to send a very strong message to the members of the ANC that factionalism cannot be tolerated. Without a doubt, though, Adela, well registered. I suppose maybe just two parting shots before I let you go. I mean, is is this run of being president of the party and as well subsequently becoming the president of the nation an unfinished business, having been or having pulled out in 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 the last minute on the 2017 conference? You know, maybe kindly firstly reflect on the reasons why you pulled out and maybe give us the current synopsis of where we are now. Well, um, in 2017, I, I was approached for to stand in two positions. One was presidency, one was deputy was president, one was deputy president. And in the build-up towards uh, the conference, I had a conversation with a number of comrades, in particular uh, 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 Dr. Yamini Zuma. I actually felt it was important for me to step down because there were options of the uh, uh, deputy president at that level, so as to allow that process to go on, uh, you know, in, uh, and make it easy for the party to resolve that issue. And then uh, when uh, we were getting closer to the conference, it was clear that the uh, uh, two groups were very hard and that uh, there was a possibility of others, if they lost, they would actually move out and form their own party. The level of uh, uh, rivalry and tension was too high. And that one believed that uh, I can contribute uh, towards building the unity. And what I think was achieved in that uh, conference was that it became clear that the the uh, delegates had a sway because ultimately uh, not uh, people were not necessarily elected on the basis of one single slate. Normally, if in a slate politics, you have the first person uh, elected and then the rest of the people will come in more or less on the same number of votes. But this time around, it was a mixture which I thought might have been helpful helpful to make sure that all the delegates uh, leave the conference with a sense that their you know, preferences have somehow been uh, represented in the process. I think what, the, uh, what we are seeing now, uh, we are seeing a number of uh, people who are 
also nominating outside the slate, uh, which I think uh, the presidents have got a, a right to do. And I also believe that uh, when we get to the conference, people will decide on voting mainly on the basis of the caliber of the leader that, uh, that they are looking at in terms of their track record, in terms of their demeanor, in terms of their suitability for the particular position. And I'm hopeful that with time, as we move into the future, we will get rid of, uh, uh, you know, uh, slave politics and uh, the issue of uh, voting by caucus and get uh, what has been encouraging is to look at how the provinces, uh, the provincial leaders have gone across to start uh, engaging each other to try and look at what is best for the ANC. They won't agree, obviously, uh, but at the end, uh, that creates a better atmosphere because it, it's more about what is best for the organization. And what, in, in the case of KwaZulu-Natal, they consulted the branches who came up with a view, then they went to their regions, uh, sub, to their sub-regions and zone, and they went to the, uh, sub, to the region, and ultimately the province made a, 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 a call on the basis of how they actually consulted the branches. Now, the branches are busy nominating. I think at the end of it, uh, the, um, uh, the uh, process will allow the candidates that will meet the threshold to be available as proper former candidates for, for, for elections. And then the delegates must do the rest. But one is hoping that we should, at the end, emerge with a stronger, more united ANC because the branches are committed towards unification of the ANC into a solid instrument of liberation in the hands of our people. But uh, that, uh, as we move into the future, will actually stamp, uh, stamp out the uh, factionalism in the way that it has been. It creates a lot of problems, arrogance. It creates a difficulty in listening to reasoning because people have got arrogance of numbers. It is important for us to know that uh, you know, it's about reasoning that you do things inside the ANC and the consensus of the discussion. It is not only about you know, how many people can vote for which position. And uh, it's important to say for the ANC to be seen to be attending to the concerns of the public, the ANC must appear as one organization uh, speaking in one voice, and it must then focus on the crisis that the country is facing. Energy crisis needs to be resolved, issue of unemployment needs to be resolved, issue of uh, you know, inequality, poverty uh, needs to be dealt with, the level of crime is unacceptable, uh, very high. All of these things need a focused ANC that is not about itself, that is about how government can be made a more uh, you know, uh, effective a machinery for service delivery, how we can close the gap between ourselves and our people, how we can turn around the economy, expand it, but ensure that it is transformed and create more jobs and also build you know, uh, you know, possibilities of people in the townships to run their economies, to, uh, for government to procure from small businesses and cooperatives. All of these things are decisions that have been taken by the ANC and my focus will be how to make sure they are all implemented Let's make sure that we, what can be done gets done. Even before we think of new policies, implementation is going to be my focus based on my history of having uh, you know, uh, served in the different positions in the organization, different levels from branch to region to province to national, as well as serving in government at the provincial level, as head as the MEC, as well as being premier and being minister. I think that uh, the branches are calling on us to contribute to us rebuilding of the ANC, and I offer humbly 
uh, that uh, background and experience as the reason why uh, that uh, can be considered. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe on just a lighter note, I saw you seated next to our premier, premier Refilum Tunitipane on the coronation of the king. You know, you know, some, some are saying maybe you are getting a 411 of, what of what's going on in Pumalanga. But talk us through just before you leave. How important is it that Pumalanga also pledge their allegiance towards your presidency run? Well, we've always worked very closely with the uh, with Pumalanga, and I uh, have received uh, support from places across different provinces. I would urge and request uh, those uh, branches in Pumalanga to give me the support, and that uh, we'll always make sure that once uh, you know we're over the conference, we will then all work together to focus on the issues that are worrying everyone at the grassroots level. I am deployed in Pumalanga, and when there was a huge challenge about tensions and the fights that were happening in the ANC in Pumalanga, I actually was asked to lead a team to go and resolve this. We went straight through, and in a straightforward manner, we actually called all the comrades to work together, and uh, I was very humbled to see that there was a very good response to that, and I've worked in that area. And by the way, uh, I have lived in Pumalanga. I've actually served in structures in Pumalanga many, many years ago. It's a long, long time ago, though. <laughs> but I'm just saying that in Pumalanga is one of the you know, very rich provinces that we should be able to look at what each of the districts in Pumalanga has to offer in growing jobs, in growing the economy, and in improving the lives of the people. Uh, issues of water and sanitation out in, um, you know, uh, uh, Steve Jeter, in the Leandro Townships, in, you know, Balente and all the others, you know, uh, they need to be solved. The issues of water, the issues of sanitation, those issues need to be solved. The issue of, uh, you know, unemployment right across needs to be need to be solved. And you need to also bring back the respect of the members of the ANC to its own uh, processes so that when people come to a BBGM or a branch meeting, there's no attack. There are no people who will come with, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, sticks and knives to attack other people. In Bumalang has always been known to be a very decent province of the African National Congress that has been respected, that has played a role even during the days of the underground struggle. So I believe that in Bumalang has got a huge contribution to make in stabilizing the ANC, in strengthening the ANC, in uniting the ANC, and in making sure that South Africa becomes a better, a better country for all of us to live in. Dr. Mkiza, it's always a pleasure chatting to you, and I really want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you very much.